you do if you could open with me to the Gospel of John chapter 11. Gospel of John chapter 11. Welcome to week 28 of our series that has us walking through um, this amazing, incredible gospel. And in case you have forgotten, John tells us towards the end of his gospel that the reason he wrote all of his gospel is that so that those who read this gospel might come to believe in Jesus Christ. That's why we are calling this series that you may believe. If you've never done that, that you would. Or if you have believed, we would keep believing, keep growing in our belief. And this morning we come to a funeral that turns out differently than most funerals that we have probably attended. You know, when I was growing up, funerals were just a part of our family's life. You know, my father being a pastor, my mom being a piano player, I could think of myself and my sister growing up, probably by the time we were 10 years old, we had probably been to like 50 or 60 funerals. It was just like a part of our lives is what we did. We would go to the viewing the night before and we would get in trouble because we would run around with other kids you know, in the midst of the funeral home. And then we would come to the funeral. We would sit in the back. Mom would play the piano. Dad would do the service. We would also get in trouble then. And, uh, but it was a part of our lives. And as a kid, all the funeral services were pretty much the same. But, but who's to say what's normal or who's to say what's weird when dealing with the subject of, of death? You know, every culture has their own way of dealing with and interpreting death. I did a little reading this week and found an article about the weirdest funeral services on record. Now, most of them were not appropriate for our setting, so I tried to pick a few that were. And so here are a few that I found. But if you want some great stories, contact your local funeral home director. I'm sure he could tell you some amazing stories, probably even better than some that I'm telling you. But in 2012, a man married his deceased girlfriend in a combination funeral wedding ceremony. Just wrap your head around that one for a second. In 2014, the family of Billy Stanley of Ohio carried out his wish to be buried sitting on his 1967 Harley-Davidson motorcycle by hauling a large plexiglass casket to the cemetery. Christopher Rivera Amaro, a super featherweight boxer with a career record of five wins and 15 losses, made his final appearance in the ring at his own funeral in Puerto Rico. So mourners who came to his wake found him posed, standing in a makeshift boxing ring, wearing his signature boxing trunks, sunglasses, and blue boxing gloves on his hand. Just imagine that. Then Lord Timothy Dexter, an American businessman who faked his own death in the 18th century. He attended his own funeral, and when he saw his wife not crying, he revealed himself and beat her with a cane. <laughs> now we know why she was not crying at all. In 1915, a South Carolina woman, Essie Dunbar, was found to be alive after her sister arrived late for her funeral. Get this, after reaching the funeral late, the sister demanded to see her sister one last time. Therefore, they had to dig up the body, and when they opened the casket, she sat up and smiled, and hear this, lived for 47 years after this event. Just imagine that. And then, of course, there was a story that happened kind of in our family that I was reminded of this week, uh, at my Uncle Way's funeral. My Uncle Way was married to my mom's sister, Aunt Mary, 
and Uncle Wei was getting sick and had been sick for a long time. Um, Uncle Wei had four kids, but uh, married to uh, or had a daughter named Karen who was married to Mike, who's a Methodist pastor. Well, they get the call that um, kind of Uncle Wei has taken a turn, so they all come in. Um, my cousin Mike, Methodist minister, went and bought a new suit because he was going to be performing the ceremony. He brings the suit in. They're staying with my Aunt Mary. He hangs it in the closet. Um, of course, things progress. My Uncle Way passes away. Um, they call the funeral home. The funeral home contacts my Aunt Mary and says, please send us the clothing that you would like him buried in. Of course, in instead of Aunt Mary asking Karen to do it, um, she asks my cousin Tommy to do it. And so Tommy just opened the closet, saw a suit, grabbed the suit, uh, and took it to the funeral home. Well, they did the viewing the night before. Nobody thought anything at all. On the morning of the funeral, my cousin Mike gets up and cannot find his suit anywhere. Like, he cannot find his suit anywhere. Um, of course, then it begins to dawn on them. They begin to ask questions, and lo and behold, my Uncle Way was married in his son-in-law's, or excuse me, buried in his son-in-law's suit. Thankfully, Mike was a Methodist pastor, so he borrowed a robe, and nobody thought anything of it at all. But here's the point. A lot of wild and crazy things seem to happen at funerals. And we enter into this funeral service in John chapter 11, yet whenever Jesus showed up for a funeral, hear this, he messed it all up. So every time Jesus showed up at a funeral, the funeral got messed up immediately. Dead people really didn't seem to have a chance around Jesus. So this morning, we're going to focus in on the fifth of seven I am statements in the Gospel of John, coming from the mouth of Jesus, where Jesus, today we will hear him say, I am the resurrection and the life. And we are about to read 44 verses. Normally, I ask you to stand in reverence and honor the Word of God. I'm going to ask you to sit today in reverence and in honor of the word of God as we read these 44 verses together. So let us begin John 11, beginning at verse 1. It says this, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with an ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? And if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. 
So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. I love the King James. The King James says, He will have begun to stinketh. And it says, For he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that, I, that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Father, we pray in this moment that you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Speak, O Lord, for we are listening. Have your way. Have your way, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may stay seated. So there is a lot happening in this chapter. Lazarus is sick. His sisters, Martha and Mary, reach out to Jesus, their friend, for his help because he is the helper. At the same time, the disciples are clueless and they are scared. The crowds that are witnessing all of this are hostile at worst and skeptical at best. In the midst of all of this, death seems to reign and even haunt. And from the beginning, Jesus doesn't respond like those who know him think he should respond. But he does respond in a way that ultimately shows all of us who he is. And the question for us today, and please write this down, how do we respond when God doesn't respond the way we think he should? 
How do we respond when God doesn't respond the way we think he should? C.S. Lewis, you hear his name a lot, many quotes. He lost his wife to a painful bout with cancer. And he wrote these words. He says, I can't understand why God is always there when things are going well, telling you what he expects of you. Then he says this, and we're going to have this on the screen. He says, but go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seems so once. Why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? Now, of course, this quote does not make it on our top ten list of C.S. Lewis quotes. And the reason is, please hear this, because it's not true. It's not true. This is C.S. Lewis writing from the depths of emotions. But let me tell you this morning, brothers and sisters, your emotions, my emotions, lie. They lie. This isn't true. The reality is, yes, we live that way, that when things are great, God is near. And when things are terrible, God, where are you? But God is just as present in your darkest, deepest day as he is in your brightest, clearest, most fantastic day. The beauty is that C.S. Lewis made it through this dark time, and his faith was strengthened because of it. But think about this. We have three options when, when God disappoints us. We have three options when God doesn't do what, he think, what we think he should do. First, lose our faith. So just lose faith. Completely walk away. Stop believing in God. And basically tell people, I don't believe in God because God didn't do for me what I wanted him to do. Now let me ask you a question. If you get mad at God for not doing what you think he should do, who is God in that relationship? It's not God. It's you are. So you're mad at God for not letting you be God. Is, is what we do. So we, if we stop believing God because God won't let us be God, um, that is a terrible reason to stop believing. And it's really good for all the rest of us in the world that God won't let you be God. So we stop believing. The second thing we do in the midst of moments like this is we isolate that question from our faith. So basically, we, we don't bring hard questions into our faith. We kind of isolate them and separate them. We never deal with the hard issues. We only deal with the fluffy part of a faith and unfortunately because of that our faith never grows the third thing we do is we doubt our feelings not the object of our faith and we press deeper into him doubt your feelings not the object of your faith and press closer into jesus so let's unpack this morning three amazing truths concerning jesus as the resurrection and the life number one as the resurrection and the life, Jesus is showing his unusual love for us. He is showing his unusual love for us. Let me just stop right here and say this. Some of you came this morning or you're watching online this morning for this moment right here. This is your moment. This is the moment where God is about to speak into your life because John begins here. This chapter by emphasizing Jesus's love for Lazarus, for Martha and Mary. And the reason I think that John begins this way is because everything else that John is about to write doesn't feel like love to us. Listen, verse 3. So the sister sent to him, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Jesus, Lazarus, you love him. He's sick. 
Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. Verse 6, so, underline that, circle it. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That word so is so curious. It wasn't that Jesus loved them, but he waited. No, he loved them, so he waited doesn't make sense to us. We think that this text should say this. Since Jesus loved them so much, he immediately did what they asked him to do and came to Lazarus and made him better because that's what love is supposed to do in our minds. That's what love is supposed to do. And let me just tell you this morning, and please hear this. We have a tendency to interpret the love of God through our circumstances rather than interpreting our circumstances through the lens of his love. Let me say it again. We have a a tendency to interpret the love of God based on our circumstances instead of interpreting our circumstances based on the lens of his love. Meaning that when things are bad for you, well, God doesn't love me. God must not love me. Boo, hoo, 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 me, 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 me. And when things are good in your life, oh, God is loving me. I'm feeling his love. I'm feeling all of it. Me, 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 me. You see the picture, brothers and sisters, if we're not careful, our relationship with God really doesn't um, revolve around him. It revolves around us. And when it revolves around us, circumstances and feelings seem to rule the day. God doesn't show up. Therefore, he must not love me. And let me just say this this morning. If we demand that God loves us the way the world demands to be loved, then we'll never know the love that God has for us. Let me say it again for those of you who obviously missed that. If we demand that God loves us the way the world expects to be loved, we'll never know what it means to be loved by him. We'll never know what it means. And just look again at this connection in verses 5 and 6. It doesn't say he loved them, but he waited. Jesus loved them, so he waited. He did not hurry to the side of Lazarus, and therefore Lazarus died. And in writing this, John is stressing Jesus' love for this family because he knows that what Jesus is about to do doesn't feel like love to most of us. Very few humans think of love this way. John basically wants us in this moment to ask this question, how is that love? How is that love? Jesus, how is that loving? How could that possibly be loving? In the words of one pastor, was it unloving for Jesus to stay two days extra? If you were Mary and found out Jesus delayed, would it have felt unloving? Not just unloving, it would have felt like betrayal. But, hear these words, our feelings are fallible. Our feelings are pathological liars. Our feelings say, Jesus doesn't love me. He won't come. He won't act. Don't trust your feelings. Let truth shape your emotions, not your emotions, the truth. Let let truth, the truth of this word shape your emotions. Don't let your emotions shape what you believe to be true. Your emotions, my emotions, brothers and sisters, are pathological liars. They lie to us all the time. It's what they do, continually lying to us. 
over and over and over again. And you don't have to be an expert in this moment in, in first century history to stop and imagine what things must have been like for Martha and Mary to nurse, try to nurse their sick brother back to health while waiting on Jesus to get there only to see him no-show and then their brother dies. When Jesus finally comes, Lazarus had been dead for four days. More on that in a few minutes. And both Martha and Mary come to him at separate times, and they say the same exact words, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. Now, why would both of them say the same exact words? You know why? Because they have said those same words over and over and over and over again. And they, this is what they were saying, if he'd have been here. If he would have been here, why isn't he here? If he would have been here. Basically, Jesus, if you would have done what love is supposed to do, then our brother would still be alive. Jesus, if you would have done what love is supposed to do, he would still be here. And let me lay this before you this morning. There are those of you in this room who have or who are you're going through tragic experiences and you're asking, how can God be loving while allowing me to go through this. How can this be love? For many of us, there's things behind us that kind of define us. One is the sin in our lives. We go, how in the world could God love me with this in my past, with this following me? And then there's others who can't reconcile how God could be loving when you consider the tragic events that have happened in your life. And God not responding in those events the way you think he should Respond. Listen, all across this room, every single one of us, we have moments where we have said, God, where are you? Where are you? I can't see you through the midst of my emotions, the midst of all the chaos around me. God, where are you? Or what are you doing? God, what are you doing? Just think about this. You have two sisters who are watching their brother die, all the while watching out the window, waiting for Jesus to come to them, trying to figure out where he is. The messenger that they sent to give this message to Jesus now comes back. And they say, did you, did you tell him? Did, did you tell him? And the messenger said, yeah, I told him that Lazarus, whom he loved, was, was dying, was sick. And the sisters say, and what did he say? Well, he said that it wouldn't lead to death, and he kept teaching, and he told his disciples he wasn't coming. And then they watched their brother die. They watched their brother die. And what John is telling us is that it was love that moved Jesus to let Lazarus die. It was love, the love of Jesus for this family, for his disciples, and for us that caused him to let Lazarus die. And let me just say this, as I, you see on the screen, there is an unusualness about the love of Jesus for us. He doesn't always love us the way we expect him to love us or the way that we think we deserve to be loved. But he loves us in a way that we can't get to the bottom of, in a way that will forever be a thousand exclamation points behind his love for all of us. But Jesus is showing us an unusual 
his unusual love for us. But then secondly, as the resurrection and the life, Jesus is displaying his unimaginable glory to us. He's displaying his unimaginable glory to us. So the reason that Jesus did not go and heal Lazarus when he heard he was sick is because he loved them. But the first thing Jesus does when he hears the news about Lazarus' illness is he puts it in relation to the glory of God and his own glory. In verse 4, he says, or it says, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Well, it kind of does. I mean, they're at a funeral. Jesus is about to show up. So what does Jesus mean when he says it doesn't lead to death? What he's saying is this. It doesn't end in death. This illness, it won't end in death. There will be a death, but this whole story won't end in death. And then he says this, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then in verse 40, Jesus said to Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And this makes even less sense to us. But God, through our hurt, through our pain, through our sickness, even through our death, and through the death of others, is weaving a story together that tells of his glory. Our lives are like the reverse side of a great tapestry. I've used this many times before, but from the back side, which is our side, all we can see are knots and imperfections. Everything looks random and chaotic. Only from the front side of the tapestry, which is God's side, is it possible to see how it all fits together. On our side, things are out of control and chaos reigns. Yet on God's side, there is a beautiful picture that is being formed that will be, hear this, for our good and for his glory. So Lazarus' illness is not mainly about pain, even though it is painful. It's not even mainly about death, even though he will die. This, this whole illness is mainly about how glorious God is and how glorious his son is. And this is where we must see that Jesus does not love us by sparing us from suffering and death in this life. Jesus mainly loves us by giving us what we need most. Let me say it again. Jesus mainly loves you by giving you what you need most. Well, what do you need most? I'm glad you asked that question. What you need most is not physical healing, but a full and endless experience of his glory. It's what we need most. We need an experience that will never end with his glory. Now, how do you grab a hold of that? And how do you experience that, especially when our lives are being turned upside down and nothing makes sense? Well, look at verses 14 and 15. In verses 14 and 15, it says, Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Like, ouch, Jesus. Like, that's tough. But then he says this, so that you may believe. Lazarus's illness and death, Jesus says, is about my glory because, hear this, I am most glorified when you believe in me. I'm most glorified, Jesus says, when you believe in me, even when things don't make any sense whatsoever. In fact, look at verses 25 and 26. Jesus says to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and 
the life. So although the resurrection is an event, Jesus takes an, an event here and makes it a person. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says this, whoever believes, underline that, believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. That's for Lazarus. And everyone who lives and believes, under that again, underline it, in me shall never die. That's for Martha and Mary and us. Yes, we'll die physically, but we'll never die spiritual death. And then at the end of verse 26, do you believe? Underline that again. Believe this. Three times. Do you believe? Believe. Believe. These promises are for those who believe. Jesus' love for us is whatever it takes for us to see his glory, even death, whatever it takes for us to believe in him more and more. So Jesus allows Lazarus to die, even when he had the power to heal him. He hurts deeply Martha and Mary, but he does it because he wants them and others and us to come to see his glory. And what Jesus is asking of us in this moment is to trust him. Trust him. To trust him. Believe. Believe that he is weaving a story together of his glory, even when it involves our pain. And believe that he is doing it for our good. Listen, some of you are thinking right now, well, you don't know what I'm going through, or I can't see any of that right now. And of course you can't see it. You're in the middle of it. We can never see it when we're in the middle of it. As I said a few weeks ago, though, in Psalm 23, ends in verse 6, but surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is coming a day where you will look back and you will see the darkest, deepest, most horrible moments of your life. And his mercy and his goodness didn't bypass you in those moments, but went right with you through those moments. And you will see, you will come to see in those moments his mercy glory you will see it you will know it then you will experience it and you will say god forgive me for ever doubting you in the words of john piper he says this is the glory of jesus jesus raised lazarus because he is the resurrection and this story is god saying to you i love you my love for you is not sparing you suffering and death. It is the gift of myself, my glory. Do you see me? Do you see me for who I really am? Come to me. I have much more to show you. Oh, he has much, much more. But as the resurrection, the life, Jesus is displaying his unimaginable glory to us. And then number three. Number three, as the resurrection and the life, Jesus is placing his undeniable power before us. He is placing his undeniable power before us. And as I was studying this chapter this week, there was, I realized that there was something that I had missed every, every other time I've studied this. Every other time as a kid I've heard this and studied it, there was a, a part of Jesus' feelings and emotions that I had missed up to this point. Yeah, I understood. I got the fact Jesus wept. I got that. That was always my go-to memory verse. Jesus wept, John eleven thirty-five. When we grew up at the First Baptist Ocean Way, every year, by, by every year, we would have a memory verse contest. And I, I'm not saying I won them all. I won a few of them. But what I did is I went through and basically I, through a father that was a pastor, other people, I said, hey, what are the 
What are the shortest verses in the Bible? Started with those, memorize them all. That's a great place to start. There's a great foundation there. But one of them, Jesus wept. And the more I thought about it, the more it's like, well, then why did Jesus, why was he weeping? Was he weeping because his friend was dead? No. He wasn't weeping because his friend was dead. Jesus knew that just in a matter of minutes, Lazarus was going to be standing before him. You know why Jesus was weeping? He was weeping because his heart broke for Martha and Mary and all those around. He was showing empathy and compassion and weeping with those who wept. But there's another side of this emotion here that I missed. And that is what it meant when in verse 33 and verse 38, it says that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus being deeply moved. John is going out of his way to tell us that Jesus is experiencing something here far more than just sadness. And what John is saying through using that phrase, deeply moved, is that Jesus is also experiencing, get this, anger. He is ticked off. He's ticked off. In fact, one scholar says the phrase deeply moved really has the connotation of an animal snorting in anger as if getting ready to charge. Imagine that. Another scholar said the word indicates not sympathy so much as Jesus preparing to enter a ring like a wrestler prepares for the contest. He groans because the violent tyranny of death, which he had to overcome, now stands before his eyes. Here, Jesus is entering the ring with mankind's greatest enemy, death. And brothers and sisters, think about this. He is ticked off because he is experiencing the touch of death upon a circle in which there was physical, real love. He loved this family. He loved them, and he received love from them, and he was experiencing what death looked like in that relational uh, circle, and he is ticked off. He is angry, and the, the beauty is not, it's not just compassion. It's anger in this moment. We remember, we think about this. Listen, Lazarus is beyond dead. He had been dead for how many days? Four days. Now, there was an old Hebrew belief that the soul would hover over a person's body for three days. And then it wasn't until the fourth day when the body began to decompose that the soul would then say, I'm out of here. So once the the body began to decompose, the soul would say, see you. So John points to this. Maybe Jesus even waited this long so that any who held this belief would say, well, he's dead, dead. Like He's not just dead. He's not just dead, dead. He's not dead, dead, dead. He is dead, 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 dead. I mean, he's four days dead. He is gone. It's kind of what John is getting at here. All doubt about him being dead is vanished. He's dead. Yet in the midst of death, it wasn't enough for Jesus to have a theological conversation with Martha and Mary and just say, hey, let's talk about theology. No, something more had to be done. So look at verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Take away the stone. And Martha says, no, Lord. No, by this time he has begun to stink it. Like it's nasty, Lord. Don't don't do it. And then verse 41, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes. Now, I love what Jesus says. He says, Lord, I thank you that you hear me. And I'm not saying this, God, for me. I'm saying it for those that, that are listening so they know that you always hear me. And let me just say this this morning. If you are a child of God in this room, he hears you too. And not just sometimes, he always hears 
you. Don't let your emotions and your feelings take away that reality that he hears you. Yes, maybe he's not responding immediately like you want him to, but he's responding. He's working. He's doing something. He's doing something. And then in verse 43, it says, He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Verse 44, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him or loose him and let him go. In the midst of all the pain, all the tears, all the questions, all the doubts, Jesus enters into the ring with man's greatest enemy, death, and Jesus defeats it. Do we understand the power that this shows that Jesus can bring anyone back to life with just a word, just speaking it? D.A. Carson, theologian, said that had Jesus not specified Lazarus by name, every tomb in Jerusalem would have given up their dead. That's how powerful of a word Jesus is. If Jesus had to say Lazarus, because if Jesus said, come out, there would have been hundreds of thousands just standing around him. What do we do next? Not really sure what's happening in this moment, but this is the power of our Savior. What a truth. But, follow with me here, let's not forget the pain. Just think about all that Martha and Mary had experienced over these four days. All the pain, all the sorrow, all the hurt, all the tears. And then imagine what happens to all of those things when Lazarus walks out of the tomb. What happens to every negative emotion? What happens to every question? What happens to every doubt when Lazarus hops out of the tomb? Do they not all vanish in a moment? All the sorrow, all the pain, all the loss, all the heartbreak, all the doubt, all the fear, all the accusations against Jesus of, do you really love me? And all the accusations of, are you really who you say you are? All of that vanishes when Lazarus walks out of the grave, resurrected from the dead. What a moment in history. It is here that we see Jesus is more than just a good man. He is more than just a great teacher. He is the only one who possesses the power to bring dead people to life. He is the only one who possesses the power to bring dead people to life. And in case you're, you, you've missed it here, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. According to the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, writing to the church at Ephesus, Paul says this, you, meaning you, anyone who's ever been born, taken a breath, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Every single person born into this world, you born dead in your sin. Dead, dead, doornail dead. Dead, 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 dead. Dead, dead, dead. Bunch of dead. We're, we're dead. We are dead in trespasses and sins. And Jesus doesn't look upon us because we're like, we're good looking dead. And he doesn't look upon us because we have a lot to offer dead. He doesn't look upon us because, you know, we, we have a lot of potential dead. No, there's nothing but his mercy and grace. In fact, Paul goes on to say this, God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses and sins made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. That's the gospel. 
The gospel is we were dead in our sins, and yet we heard the voice of Jesus calling our name, and we came out into life. That is the gospel. That is the message. And the story of Lazarus suffering and then death followed him, came for him. But then thankfully, so did Jesus. Jesus came for him, and once Jesus showed up, everything changed. Everything changed. Life conquered death. And let me just say this. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, then you, by God's mercy, have been brought from death to life, just like Lazarus. You have been brought from death to life where you had no hope for life. God graciously gave it to you where you were lifelessly and hopelessly trapped in a spiritual tomb jesus called you by name and gave you new life in him and let me go a step further where you once gave off a terrible stench of death and sin and decay according to the bible you now give off the aroma of christ of his love his mercy, of his grace, of his glory, of his power. This is the hope of every believer. Here's the question this morning. Do you have this hope? Do you have this hope? Do you know this life? Again, when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he's taking what is an event and he's turning into a person. I am that. Do you know that? Do you know that? Are you growing in your belief so that God is more glorified in your life? That's the point here. If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, may the day be the day of salvation. And if you have, are you continuing to grow in that? Are you believing? One of my favorite hymns, and I listen to it just about every week. Shane and Shane version, of course, because that's just my my jam. But it is this, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus says the Lord Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him or and or again and again. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. All for grace, trust him more. That is the call today. Brothers and sisters, all of us, trust him more. Trust him more than you're trusting him right now. In the depths, in the darkest moments of your life, when it doesn't feel like love, believe it and know it, he loves you. Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ, which is the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. Believe that. Let truth, let truth lead your feelings and not feelings lead what you believe to be true. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to call the praise team forward and enter into a time of invitation and consecration and let us pray together. Father, we just glorify you in this moment. By coming to you, God, having opened your word, believing and knowing, God, that you through your word and spirit have spoken. And, Lord, we pray that you would lead and do, God, what you alone can do. If there's any that are here or that are watching online that have never put their faith in you, may today be a day of, of Lazarus for them. That they, even right now, are hearing you call their name. You're calling their name. And Lord, may they come out of death into life in you, Jesus. But also, Lord, pray for believers first of all any believers who have in the sound of my voice who have allowed ourselves god to allow themselves to take the clothes of death and put them back on and go back in the grave 
as the angel said on that first resurrection day, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek life in the midst of dead things? And if we're not careful, we do that. We seek life where there's only death. And maybe for the Christian that's doing that this morning, God, may we hear your voice again. And may we come out. But also, Lord, help us as believers to believe in you more. When things don't make sense, to choose trust over our feelings. Choose to let truth, God, dictate our feelings and not the other way around. Just have your way. Finish this time. In Jesus' name.